Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Rikindi. Uh, For those of you who don't know, Rikindi is not just a podcast, but offers a range of different yoga and meditation equipment designed to help increase mental clarity, calmness, body awareness, relieve chronic stress patterns, and more. So don't forget to check out the latest offerings at www.rikindi.com. So today we're joined by Simone Vitale. Simone has been a long-time music lover and performer for over 20 years. He began working in studio recordings and music productions, which led to him composing original music from TV, radio programs and short movies. Fast forward a few years and now Simone runs one of the largest sound healing practices where he leads workshops and seminars focused on sound healing and the power of voice. So with all of that, Simone, thank you so much um, and uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So Simone, um, for those listening, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself? You know, what led you on this journey um, from initially, you know, focusing very heavily on music production to completely changing your career path um, to focusing on healing others through sound? It was um, a gradual process of becoming more and more interested in all aspects of sound until a certain point in my life when things actually changed quite quickly. So as you said, I've been a musician and a music producer and a performer for for many years. I started playing music when I was very young. I was about maybe 13 years old, something like that. I started in school and music became very quickly a really great passion. So my life became all about music and that's all I was thinking about and wanted to do. I started playing with um, more more and more professionally and then a year, a few years later I started working in recording studio, learning all about um, recording, producing, mixing and all the process of music because my interest was to be able to of the attention to sound that it requires. It's, um, I always say Producing a piece of music is like painting. Um, you have this, the, the, the composition itself is like a sketch of the painting, but then you have to add the colors and, and you have to adjust all the details and that's what music production is. And I have always been very fascinated by sound itself. I think I am very sensitive to sound and to nuances of sound and details in sound and at some point um, in the early 2000s um, things started changing for me on a more personal level so uh, i went through a huge change in my life and suddenly certain things that were very important for me before were not so much more important and i started finding other in, um, interests so let's say in in a, in a short sentence we could say that i had some sort of spiritual awakening um, i became very interested in deeper aspects of life and that included music so music itself uh, became less interesting for me from the point of view of just entertainment and more interesting for me for what it can do for us in terms of the effects that it has on us and 
I, I started becoming very interested in the the healing effects of music for, and realizing that it can be used for healing. At the same time, I sparked an interest in body work. So actually, I started initially started uh, started studying massage. I I was really interested in in, in body work. Very. Um, shortly after that, I discovered uh, metal singing bowls because I had a friend in Rome. He is from Nepal. He used to live in Rome like me and he used to sell them. You know, the day I met him was in a, in a market and I saw these things and I thought, well, what are these things? So I asked him and, you know, we, he started explaining to me and then I spent like the whole day there with him hanging out. We became friends and eventually I got my first metal singing bowl which I started using in the massages I offered. And the interest grew deeper and deeper. Then I discovered tuning forks, which are currently my favorite sound healing tool. So I started practicing more and more sound and less uh, touch in my sessions. So it became less body work and more sound work. In 2018, I started teaching this modality and I've done it a lot in person, especially um, in New Zealand where I was living until last year and in Germany, in Italy. And after COVID, I started teaching online also because traveling became a problem. So now I have um, the full version of the training is also available online and here we are. <laughs> Yeah, wonderful. It's actually, um, it's so amazing to see that you naturally got drawn to wanting to um, use sound as a healing practice, um, you know, and I, I think that that transition is, is really, really quite beautiful. Um, when you said that you moved from like touch more to sound, uh, what made you decide to make that transition? Was it because you felt that the people you were um, working with felt had a better reaction or a better response to sound? than they did to touch or? Um, I think it was just my desire to deeply explore this modality and see what's possible when you, when you work mainly primarily with sound um, to see if the effects that people were feeling were more from the sound and not so much also because they were receiving a message, for example. And the deep relaxation that people can experience with sound is it's incredible. And so I, I, I really wanted to see what's possible if the, if the session is primarily focused on sound and if the effects are real. So that was my, my intention. And also, I, I just wanted to learn more. And the more you practice, the more you learn. And so yeah, I think it came naturally. And I, I know there's actually been quite a few, uh, quite a lot of research on sound healing and the benefits that it has on like a cellular level. Um, can you maybe touch on that a little bit for our listeners? What what benefits does sound actually have um, on your body? The primary benefit that I can see in anyone who gets in touch with this modality is deep relaxation. It seems to have an incredibly um, fast relaxing effect. So people go into deep relaxation very quickly. And deep relaxation is a very important 
thing to experience. So any practice that helps achieving deep relaxation is very, very important because we tend to live in an environment that triggers stress. And we often have li uh, a lifestyle that triggers stress. And the problem with stress is that when you when you when your nervous system is activated all the time, and the um, sympathetic um, part of the nervous system is activated all the time, which is the one that is responsible for the fight or flight response. So being very very active and facing adversities, and because our lifestyle tend to push us more in that direction, and it's becomes difficult to switch the nervous system needs this constant switch between activation of the um, sympathetic and activation of the parasympathetic and it's like something that needs to happen you know it's like a movement that needs to happen constantly during the day if we spend a lot of time in, in the sympathetic response what happens is that, yes, we have energy for physical tasks, we have energy for mental tasks, we are active, but we can't be in a nourishing mode at the same time. So our body is not fulfilling the functions of nourishing, repairing itself, uh, replacing cells and, and everything that comes from a deeply relaxed state. So that's the main problem of a stressful life. And so any kind of practice that helps balance that and, and remind our nervous system that it needs that very, very, very deep relaxation, because that's when the nourishing and repairing mode is activated in the body is very helpful. Sound healing, uh, I would say that one of the most important effects that sound healing has is that is that at least it's really deep relaxation and in that way reminds your body and your nervous system that it really desperately needs that. <laughs> there are different ways of working with sound. And so I think that every sound healer kind of specializes more on certain things. So my way of working with sound beside deep relaxation is to help people with physical issues due to muscle contractions, pain, um, recovering from physical trauma. And I found that the, the use of, of those instruments, especially tuning forks and metal singing bowl, which you can use directly on the body, is really helpful for that. It relaxes the tissues, it increases blood flow, um, increases fluid flow in general in the body and it um, it helps decompressing the fascia and yeah so it, uh, people often experience um, benefits and and relief from from physical pain when there's a lot of tension in the body and another aspect is that people when they go into a deep relaxation during a something session with those sounds around them they also have all sorts of processes people see all sorts of things colors shapes and for some people it can be also a spiritually fulfilling experience because they they kind of get a sense of all the layers 
that are normally not visible and we don't experience so consciously, like for example, the electromagnetic energy field that we have around the body. We know it's there, but we don't experience it consciously. We don't see it. You know, most people don't see it. And, and you, you don't feel it if you move your hands around your body, you, you don't really touch it. So, and when, when you get into that state, it's almost like an slightly altered state. And people see movements in their energy field, perceive colors. So it can also be um, an interesting experience from that point of view. And it can enhance your sensitivity to subtle levels of your being. Do you think that that's because you are so relaxed in that moment um, that you can block out a lot of other stimulus? Or what do you think um, causes uh, you to be able to sense those things that normally in your waking state you won't be able to see or notice? Well, I think if that happens, it probably has to do with the relaxation and less being less conscious of your body in a way. You know, if you are in a very comfortable position and you start to relax, you start feeling your body less. And so I think that's partly what um, triggers it. And and I think that also just certain sounds have uh, just the effect of triggering a certain sensitivity. It doesn't happen to all people. Not everyone I work with um, tells me that they've seen this color, that it also depends on the um, type of person. You know, some people are more visual, some people are more kinesthetic. And so if someone's very visual, it's very likely that they will experience a lot of colors or moving shapes or things. But it doesn't necessarily happen all the time. But I think it, it does have something to do with being deeply relaxed and some other ways of functioning can have more space rather than focused attention and, and you know, activity being very active. You were like mentioning before that um, when you uh, play the different sound bowls or tuning forks or so on, it can actually relieve pain on your joints. How is that possible? Because once again, it's not touching it. It would just be sound vibrations that would somehow go through the skin or how does that work? Well, that's exactly the point. Sound is touch. It is a way of touching. I always tell my students, sound is a form of touch at a distance or not distance if you're working directly actually on the body because you need to think of what sound is from a physical point of view. So it is actual waves of pressure. So the reason why you hear a sound is because there's something that's producing the sound and, and the source of the sound is making the molecules of the air that is between the source of the sound and your ears and your body. There's air in between and this air has molecules and this the sound source creates waves of pressures in these molecules. So those waves of pressure of setting molecules in motion travel from the source of the sound to the to you, to the receiver. So it's actual pressure that reaches your body. So it, it is a way of touching. It, it, it is a form of touch. It's a very light form of touch. But, you know, just think of, um, you know, you know, in the movies, when you when you see there's an explosion and people fly away, you know, <laughs> that's a wave of pressure. And it's, you know, it can be very tangible. It can move your whole body. So that's, you know, a dramatic picture but 
a sound does exactly that. It moves the air, it creates waves of pressure, and those waves of pressure reach your whole body. And then we do have a specialized organ in the ears to decode those frequencies, but actually you listen with your whole body because those waves of pressure reach your whole body. And we have pressure reception under the skin. So that's why um, you, you can work with sound on the whole body because the skin also um, is receptive to the actual mechanical pressure of the sound waves. Wow, that's so phenomenal. I've actually, that's, and it, it makes total sense. I mean, um, yeah, that's beautiful. I know uh, Nikola Tesla is famous for saying, um, when you want to understand the universe, look in terms of sound or vibrations and frequencies, um, you know, and that everything around you is actually vibrating at a specific frequency. And um, that's how, you know, apparently like a, a glass can break is if you manage to match that frequency, um, then it just completely shatters. I mean, that's just so phenomenal to even think about. There was some studies released on uh, cancer and was like um, they're looking at treating specific types of cancer with um, specific sound vibrations because you can actually match just like a glass you can match that vibration of let's say a cancerous cell and then absolutely uh, kill it without harming any other cell because it would only be picked up by that frequency yeah yeah that's that's really impressive when when you hear of sound um, in such a you know in the medical field we normally think um, we're normally seeing ultrasounds so they're not the kind of frequencies that can be produced by the kind of instrument you use in a sounding session, but it's still sound. Mm. You know, they also use sound vibrations to break kidney stones. And so there, there are medical application of sound, but they're normally um, electronically produced frequencies that are either infrasounds or ultrasounds. So be, be below or above our hearing thresholds. Because, yeah. you know, we, we have a limited hearing um, range, but of course there is sound vibration below that and, and above that. Different animals have different hearing ranges, so there are animals that can hear much higher sounds that we can hear. Mm, it really makes you wonder, like, how much of the environment are we actually not aware of? You know, similar to sound is also sight, touch. Um, we have a threshold for everything, really. And so we're almost bound and limited by our senses and what we can perceive and what we can't. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's the limitation. In a way, it's the limitation of how much how much information we can process at one time. It's, it's like, I, I am always fascinated by this idea that it's like our, our senses, our five senses, they are like channels to, to separate all this huge sea of vibrations that we're swimming into in, in, in understandable ranges. <laughs> and there's stuff in between the ranges of the various senses and then there's stuff beyond the senses and we just can't perceive it i think it, it's probably like a limitation a hardware limitation of our body like there's probably so much information that our brains can process at one time that's why we put information in the background you know you can phase out sounds while you're focusing on something else you can go to sleep even if you are in a slightly noisy environment you can just block it out and 
it seems to be that our consciousness needs to always have some kind of focus and can't always be open to everything. It needs to focus on, on things to make sense of things, I guess. Yeah, they've actually uh, tested that out um, using um, names. So what they did is got a whole bunch of people in a room and they thought, okay, well, why is it that sometimes you would pick up on, like if your name was called or something in a room? So they were sitting in a room and then um, you, they would say, okay, well, if somebody whispers a name at what uh, frequency, what, what volume, will they be able to pick that up? And even if it's at the exact same volume as other stimulus, you will be able to hear that or if it's a topic that you're very interested in. So it is that you have all of this information that your body's picking up, but only specific ones are your um, selective awareness uh, that you are paying attention to and then put that into your conscious awareness. Um, and so that's yeah. why a lot of that whole, um, you know, if you really want a red car, <laughs> you know, visualize a red car, or think about it, eventually you'll see a red car everywhere because that, that is always around you. It's just what you think is, is salient or important uh, within your landscape. Um, and that's where that whole yeah. mindset um, comes in and, and then brings in the whole holistic self, you know, where you really are, are um, interconnected with everything. And so the more that you're aware of, you know, where you're going in life or um, whatever it may be, the more likely you are to see those opportunities pop up. And it's not because they've been there. They've always been there. It's just you were not aware of it. You weren't interested in it. So it just never appeared. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it I'm seems so our cautious, consciousness really intelligently saves processing energy you know something's just stuck in the background until it becomes interesting in some way like you say you know so you have this buzzing background and then someone says your name and you suddenly turn around who was that you know yeah but it was not the the background noise wasn't interesting until there was a, a piece of information that's relevant to you and then it, it gets through the filters and it goes into your conscious awareness so interesting. And so with, yeah. um, cause I know that you've done some work with pregnant women, um, through sound, what impact does uh, that actually have, um, on the mother or on the baby, um, in that situation? Well, that's, um, that's one of the fascinating things about our connection to sound as human beings. So we start hearing sounds when we are, um, still in the womb. So um, it is an interesting way of learning about the environment before entering it. So we start learning about the, the, the environment and the effects that that environment has on our mother, who's kind of hosting us until the moment we come into life. And it's, it's a really interesting evolutionary Thing because you can actually start receiving information about the environment you will be entering before you enter it. And so we, we start hearing already in the womb towards the end of the, of the pregnancy. And that's why we can recognize the voice of our mothers. That's why we, we, we are specially tuned into the sound of the voice of your mother, because when you come out of the womb, you're completely helpless. So you're going to have to have some kind of reference frame of what's safe and what isn't. And of course, your mother's voice is the safest thing. So you're going to, you are already wired to, to focus on that primarily. And now the interesting thing is that 
this is my personal idea. This is common knowledge, everything I said until now. And I have this, my, my idea is that not only you learn to recognize your mother's voice, or you get a little bit of a sense of the environment around your mother by listening to those sounds, is also what, how your mother reacts to certain sounds. So, for example, if there's a sound that means danger to your mother, she will react to the sound by producing adrenaline, for example. And that that's something that you are exposed to as a, as a fetus in, the, in your mother's body. All the chemicals, you're exposed to all that, everything that happens chemically in your mother's body. So you could potentially develop an association between that sound and danger because you heard that sound and your mother reacted physiologically with fear or, or alertness or whatever and that potentially can create an association for you yourself even before you're born that that sound means danger and for example if if a mother listens to a certain kind of music to relax and she experiences relaxation, then the child can potentially create an association between that music and relaxation. So that music can be used potentially when the child is born to um, reactivate this association with relaxation. And that's the idea, for example, um, that I had when I created um, an album specifically for relaxation for pregnancy and birth. And yeah, I mean, we, we seem to have, and I mean, it makes sense because in the womb, you can't see anything, right? So you only start using your eyes when, when you are actually born. So, but you can hear and hearing in, in so many instances in so many circumstances is actually more useful than seeing because unless thinking about at a primordial survival level unless you are in a clearings and you can see for miles in that case you know you will see things before you hear them but in a lot of other circumstances let's say you live in a forest you're not going to in a thick forest you're not going to see very far but you can hear very far you can hear for hundreds of meters and you maybe see for two or three meters. And, and that's something we still have within us. You know, you hear sounds from around the corner or you hear sounds in another room of your house and, and you don't see what it is, but you can hear it. Someone enters your house and they break the windows into your house. You know, man, what's going on? But you, you don't need to see them. You know, you can hear them. And, and in that way, if you think, if you think about how many circumstances, in how many circumstances, sounds can alert you much earlier than your sight, you can really realize how how powerful our connection to sound is. Also, at a survival level, we rely on sound so much. But because we live in a culture that it's so visually oriented, we do so much visual communication, we kind of, in a way, have forgotten that a little bit. That sound is actually really, really, really relevant because we focus so much on sight. 
we even switched from learning from oral tradition so by listening to, to the knowledge that has been been passed on to just reading it on the book and you know it, it somehow that's made us lose a little bit the connection that we used to for thousands and thousands and thousands of years we used to learn by listening mm -hmm. and storytelling uh, and now, played and storytelling story exactly myths Singing. legends storytellings and passing on the knowledge often through chanting actually so yeah sound sound has such an incredibly pivotal role in our human existence and somehow we often don't think about it so much we we kind of forget that sound is, is such a plays such a huge role in our everyday lives and so having this practice um by having playing these beautiful instruments to help calm people down. Do you think that that also brings then awareness back to their auditory um, senses? And because uh, obviously your eyes are closed, you're in a more relaxed state. And so all you can really do is focus on listening to those sound vibrations and um, really going within. Yeah, I think it does. Very similarly to what, you know, if you close your eyes and listening to your favorite music, you know, you're, it's very similar to that. You're, you're giving your eyes a rest and you're opening your perception of sound which in a way it, it's I, I see it as very expansive you just need to sit in your room and close your eyes and and try to hear as far as possible try and hear what's the most distant sound i can hear right now and and you feel your whole energy field expanding it's wow. amazing yeah, because yeah, it's also like uh, personally, you know, I was living in the city uh, before and obviously being surrounded by all this noise and stuff. I didn't really, you block out, like we are talking about conscious awareness before, I blocked out quite a lot of that. And then I've been living um, in more of a secluded foresty kind of area. And um, I just sit there and listen to all the birds. And you just, as soon as you say, okay, how many different bird sounds can I hear? You just hear more and more. It's like looking at the stars. You know, you, you'll look up at the night sky and see one or two stars, but then the longer you look up, the more stars emerge. Um, and I, I, like you're saying, I think this a very similar thing happens with sound is the more that you're like, okay, well, what can I hear? There's so many beautiful different sounds out there. And the the, the less, the, I think the further away you go from the city, because the city can be just so noisy and there's just so much going on. Um, and I can understand for those um, children who are very sensitive to that sort of thing or people who are very sensitive to that sort of thing, it can be very overwhelming because there's just so much. And, and like we're saying, this this is development has happened so quickly. You know, if you look at human development, it's uh, taken millions of years really for us to evolve to where we are today. And so... Um, city industrialization has only happened one of the few decades it's just um, accelerated uh, so fast and um, it's having a huge impact on us and like you're saying with the fight or flight you know everyone's running around super stressed out with all of this intense stimulus that we're being bombarded with uh, without yeah. actually a chance to to rest and digest that's 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 yeah that's a very important thing you just said our bodies have evolved for millions of years to be in a natural sonic environment and then for like i don't know three centuries we, we've started having mechanical noise noise made by machines and you know three centuries in evolution is nothing it's like one day and 
So yeah, I mean that that's a really important point you touch that our nervous system is still struggling with this the amount of noise of, of artificial noise it needs to deal with every day. Uh, first of all, artificial noise, but also the amount of noise, because if you live in the countryside, you have so much more quiet, you have you're so much more dynamic. It's like the difference between classical music and, and you know, pop music that normally pop music that doesn't have a dynamic range. If you look at the waveforms, it's just a block like that. And then you look at the waveform of classical music, it goes up and down, there's dynamic, there's breath, there's poses and 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 you know that's that's we and that's the music of that environment classical music is the class the music that we used to compose in a more natural environment and and nowadays we're suffocated by noise and we produce music that's very active it's always up it's always you know full and not saying that it's bad i mean i mean, I, I also like music <laughs> i like rock music actually i used to be a hard rock musician when i was younger and I don't play that kind of music anymore, but I still listen to it sometimes. Well, apparently so heavy not... metal, apparently classical and heavy metal are, are two of the, the most difficult things to play because, um, you know, th th there's a lot going on in, in both different genres, even though they're so polar opposite. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not saying this in a, you know, to make anything negative. I'm just saying if you reflect on it and you just observe it, you know, classical music's got, breath it's got movements dynamics it changes goes up and goes down and it's a more natural sonic dynamic for our nervous system and something that's full on all the time it's very unnatural it's very stressful which is mm. you know the the environment that so many of us in the cities have been uh, born into and and are used to but that also explains why these things are so popular you know why people listen to music so much of the time it's because there's a desperate need to control your sonic environment to, to, to say i decide to what i'm listening to because the difference between hearing and seeing is that you can close your eyelids and you can stop seeing if you don't want to see you can't do that with your ears you can't close your ears unless you do it you know physically and that's such a valid so it, it, when you sleep you close your eyes you don't see anything but you hear everything that goes on around you and then as we were saying before it goes under your consciousness threshold so you don't wake up to each single sound you hear but you never stop hearing you never 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 stop hearing and and you know i i'm the one you know i'm one of those people who are always listening to music if i walk around in the city because I want to listen to something that I've decided, not something that I have been bombarded with against my will. <laughs> yeah, and how grateful are we at this present time where we actually can invoke, because each, each type of music obviously invokes a different reaction. So you're saying uh, very pop music, it makes you go, go, go. Um, uh, and so it's kind of interesting that we can choose which music we want to listen to to invoke a specific response. Um, you know, if you if you want a upbeat, you can click your fingers and well, uh, on your fingertips, you can change between anything. And I think that that um, that in itself is is so profound. It's very interesting to see what that'll develop into if more people become aware. Okay, well, now that I can actually choose what I listen to, um, maybe I shouldn't be listening to pop music all the time, or maybe I should be more aware of um, what sort of programming I'm consuming um, and what impact that has on my subconscious or in my whole body awareness um, because it is so interconnected. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah.
Yes, yeah, so you're talking about um, different types of uh, sounds. You've got your sound fork, sound bowls. Um, what sort of healing impact does your own voice have and how does that work? Well, the voice works on many, many levels. Um, one of the reasons I'm so fond of working with the voice is because it has had a huge effect on my life. So one of the biggest shifts in my relationship with sound happened when I started working with my voice um, in a more conscious way. So before that, yes, I had used my voice occasionally when I was seeking, singing um, backing vocals in whatever band I was playing in. Um, but, you know, I never played paid attention to it was just, you know, I, I sing this, you sing that, I sing this here, I sing this there. It's a very, you know, just part of the musical process, very technical. I never really stopped observing what happens within me, in my body, when I when I make a sound and, and the vibration in, in, in my body and different sounds vibrate differently and they do different things to my body. I never really stopped to notice that. It was only when I started doing that, when I started using my voice as a practice, as a daily practice of toning and exploring the range of my voice, exploring different sounds and the different effects they have on different parts of the body. That was, I was flabbergasted <laughs> and I, I thought, man, I mean, we have so much that we can do with our voices for ourselves, first of all. And that was a really huge um, breakthrough for me. It, I, that really made a lot of the shift that I mentioned earlier happen using my voice so much. So that's the reason why I also include that in my training so much. There's, there's a whole module dedicated to that because I really encourage everyone who wants to work with sound, even if they don't want to work with their voice as sound healers, to explore their voices because it will do so much for them personally as a as a um, transformation tool and so the voice really affects us on so many levels you, you just need to think about the range you have by just talking to someone and how it makes you feel better sometimes to get things off your chest or psychotherapy just traditional psychotherapy where you just talk just the fact of putting certain feelings and thoughts into words does something if you have something you're struggling with and you don't talk about it with, with anybody it stays there the moment you talk about it with someone the moment that feeling is translated into the sound of your voice it does something or voice can harm words can harm so if you say something really mean with a lot of mean intention it's like you know it's being stabbed for the other person so there's a lot of power in the voice of and I think it's the power of conveying information transporting information through the sound the voice is also a direct channel of expression for our inner self. So you, you, 
everyone, you, me, everyone has an inner world that's really unknown to others. And yeah, of course, you can get glimpses of that inner world, you know, from, from the facial expression, from body posture, you can see if someone's happy, you can see if someone's sad. But, you know, that's the general thing. Happy and sad is a very broad thing, you know, it's a very broad state. But you don't know that the real inner life of someone until you have a deep conversation with them. So the voice is also the channel through which we express our innermost self, our soul, who we are, who we really are. And leaving that connection consciously, so being conscious that every time you work, um, every time you open your mouth and make a sound, you are directly expressing something that's very, very, um, it's, it's your essence, it's who you are. Which also makes you reflect on how many times we just talk mindlessly, how many times we talked without 100% presence, without being fully present without what we're saying, and you know, being aware that we are making a sound, we're using our voice, that voice is going to carry a lot of information, that voice is going to have an effect on yourself and on the others. How often do we have that level of presence, you know, that being completely there and say, okay, I'm doing this very consciously. So we also use our voice very unconsciously and, you know, self-talk and those little things that sometimes we say about ourselves that are a little bit diminishing, you know, those are all automatic things that we don't pay attention to, but they do have an effect. So, for example, in the sense, if you say something that um, diminishing of yourself, en passant, like that, without really paying attention, maybe you just then laugh a little bit about it. If you really think about it and you say, ask yourself, why did I say that? Is that true? Do I believe it to be true? Do I want it to be true? Why did I say that? You know what I'm talking about, the, same, you know, the kind of thing we say, I don't know, someone may say something like, um, yeah, but you know, I'm, I'm really not good at that, or those kind of little things that we, we all do, we all say these kind of things. And if someone stopped us <laughs> and say, hey, <laughs> why did you say that? Do you want that to be true? Is it true? Do you believe it? You know, if we brought that level of attention to everything we say, it would really make a huge difference. Mm. Oh, totally. And it's um, it's you you becoming that self fulfilling prophecy. So it's like you're not the person you were yesterday or three months ago or a year ago. You are the person you are right here, right now. And people can hold on to a lot of stuff from the past and think, okay, well, you know, oh man, I failed at that, and so I'm a failure. And it's like, well, no, you're not a failure. Um, you know, maybe you had done some things wrong in the past, but that doesn't necessarily make you a failure. By you saying I am a failure is the highest the highest thing that's making you a failure. What are those self affirmations? And um, that's why the whole you using your sound, your own voice to heal you, I find that so interesting because it goes back to you know centuries of um, using mantras and um, 
hymns and uh, you know in different all different religions uh, people sing and sing together and singing together in unity creates such a beautiful um, feeling a beautiful space and that repetitive mantra that you're saying to yourself is, is just such a, a healing um, practice you know healing the mind but then also taking you to a completely different state which is just the power of voice yeah absolutely yeah so do you um is any um pointers for people listening uh what sort of um sound using your own vocal cords do you uh suggest to people is there any examples that you can give us um i i would recommend exploring your voice freely and you can start by just humming and see how it makes you feel if you just in a very relaxed way in your own way with whatever length of breath you have just hum some sounds like something like this see how long you can go that gives you an idea of your, how you control your breath and see if it triggers an interest to do more see if it inter- uh, triggers an interest to open your mouth and to make a bowel for example so you can start with humming and maybe you want to open your mouth and and see what happens i'm my approach is often without a, a system because i find systems to be good as starting points like if you, if you don't really know where to start and and someone tells you well make these three notes and then you will experience this do it and see do you really experience that and if you do then that's great and if you don't what do you experience then what what does your body tell you when you make those sounds because there you know there's often this idea that you make a certain sound and it has a certain effects on the body on the energy on that chakra on this on that um but the reality is that we're all different so our bodies are all different different sizes different thickness different weight different this different that so a certain sound can't have the exact same effect on everyone so my invitation is always start from somewhere and then see what happens instead of using a sound to tell your body what it should feel make a sound and listen to your body and let your body tells you i feel this when you do that so you can you know you can modulate at the pitch you can start with a very low sound and then you can move to a higher sound even when you're humming you can hum a very low sound like this and then you can modulate and see and you will feel so many things already just by something so simple you will feel the energy moving up and down the body doing all sorts of things and that will will spark automatically a curiosity to see okay when i made that higher sound i felt the energy moving up my head what if I go even higher? Or what if I go down very quickly? You, you know, be playful, be creative. That's my my main um, advice. The, the best advice is, is because we so many people have inhibition around their voices. And, you know, as long as it's about talking, it's all fine. But if it's about singing, or about first of all, people confuse 
toning and singing a lot if you say you know let's do some toning yeah but i'm not a good singer or i, or I can't really sing or i'm tone deaf you know we go back to those affirmations because maybe someone told you once that you know you didn't catch the right note and then you repeat yourself that you can't sing which is okay i mean it, it is possible that the first time you sing you sing out of tune because you have to get used to it you know and then with practice you can get better some people are instantly good and some people need practice and it's fine but you know just because you need practice doesn't mean that you're not good so that so that's the first distinction if you're using your voice in this way in a more sound healing way let's say toning and, and doing something remove the concept of singing remove the concept of being in tune any kind of musicality and mostly the thing i always tell my students remove the idea that there's a good sound and a bad sound a beautiful sound and an ugly sound in sound healing there's only sound and what it does and that's it there's only the sound and the effect it has make that sound how does it make you feel make that other sound how does it feel what happens that's it it's not good it's not bad it's not beautiful it's not ugly so that's the very first important thing to keep in mind and then when you when you when you man if you manage to get into that framework of saying well this is all neutral it's all it's not good it's not bad it's just the thing i want to observe if I do that, what happens? Then, you know, you, you can try and give yourself the freedom to experiment with your voice in ways that, you know, there's, there, there shouldn't be any judgment. And if it makes you feel shy, just do it in a place where you think no one can hear you. But, you know, don't be shy with yourself. It's a, I understand if you're shy with other people around you. But, you know, don't be shy with yourself. Find a place where no one can hear you and allow yourself to find weird sounds, different sounds, funny sounds. So you're talking about um, the vagus nerve as well. So what, uh, how exactly does sound influence the vagus nerve and, and what is that and, and what does it do for your body? Um, I, I wrote a blog article at some point that somehow became fairly popular when I considered the fact that so the vagus nerve is the longest cranial nerve in the body. It means that it originates in the in the head, in the cranium, but it travels outside of that and in two branches on each side of the body, and it touches all the internal organs. And so, and and at at its root, it has really um, strong proximity with the auditory nerve, the nerve that brings the signals from the membrane of the inner ear to the brain. So when the air reaches your ear, there's a membrane that vibrates and the movement of the membrane creates a movement in the fluid of the next part of the ear, which is called the cochlea, which is like a little spiral filled with fluids. And there's hair cells in this fluid and by moving they produce an electrical signal because the brain I mean, it's mind-blowing isn't it 
It is pretty phenomenal. The, ner the nervous system is mind-blowing. If you think it is what it is and what it does and how it works, it's just mind-blowing. Anyway, so those electrical um, signals are brought to the brain by the acoustic nerve, um, auditory nerve, acoustic nerve. And it has proximity with the vagus nerve. So they are in very close proximity. So the, uh, whatever affects the auditory nerve from the ears also has an effect on the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve has an effect on all the autonomic nervous system, which means all those processes that happen without your conscious awareness, like your digestion, your heartbeat, breathing, they go automatically. That's why it's called autonomic nervous system. And, and it, so it influences all your organs and all their functioning. So potentially, every sound has an effect on your whole body through the vagus nerve. In fact, there are therapies that use um, vagus nerve stimulation with electricity, but through the ear. So the, the electrical stimulation happens in a certain point in the ear and through the acoustic nerve, which is the vagus nerve. And so if it, if it works with electricity, why not with sound? So, because the um, sounds actually create electricity in the acoustic nerve because that's what nerves do they transform any kind of information to an electrical signal for the brain so in in this way sound you know you can keep in mind that every sound you hear first of all it reaches your whole body as i was saying before so it reaches all the nerve receptors, the pressure receptors in, under your skin. But it also um, stimulates the vagus nerve through the acoustic nerve. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, um, I understand that you also, as you were talking about um, throughout this, your different training programs. I was just wanting to um, touch on that. What different training programs do you have for those listening? Um, you know, if they really have now become super excited about wanting to use sound in their daily life to decrease stress and, um, you know, bring them back to a, a state of presence. What, um, what different courses do you offer? Um, at the moment, I'm focusing on a full practitioner course. So it's an online course that goes for one year and it has basically incorporated elements that I was first offering um, separately, like the work on the voice, for example. And it brings you through <clears throat> step by step. So it starts with um, understanding sound. Some of the things I talked about today about, you know, the mechanics of sound and the effects on the nervous system. And then working with your voice and then getting to know the metal singing bowl and then getting to know the tuning forks and that's kind of the first part of the training and then a second part of the training is deepening how to create the therapeutic space with those instruments but also other qualities and things one needs to keep in mind to actually create therapeutic space and hold therapeutic presence so, and the whole training is um, spread through a whole year um, because it, it, 
I find that it really needs time for integration. Each module needs time for integration. So if you jump from one topic to the next, um, you, you're not really integrating everything you're learning. So even though it's not a full-time training, um, it's spread all over one year because you need time to integrate each step. But also at the end of the training, you need quite some time for your case studies. So it's about 20 sessions you need to give at the end of the training. So, you know, people need time to organize all that. So the whole thing is, is one year long, but it's not really a full-time training in that sense. And it focuses on metal singing bowls and tuning forks, how to use them in one-on-one -on -one sessions. So the training is mainly focused on one-on-one -on -one sessions. Of course, everything you learn, you can implement in, in group work. But, you know, things like working specifically on the body in certain ways that really relates mainly on, on to one-on-one -on -one sessions. So, yeah, that's the main thing I'm offering at the moment, um, focusing on that. Yeah. And for those who want to um, get in contact with you, what's the best way that they can do that or to, to find you? So if they want to get in touch with me, they can write me an email at info at thesoundhealer.org. That's my main email address. Or if they want information about the training, they can visit schoolofsoundtherapy.com. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, um, Simona, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Like, I, I really appreciate this and I, I've learned so much about sound. Thank you so much. Um, that's been a huge awakening um, that I hope listeners can experience as well and uh, incorporate sound and, and maybe even become a sound practitioner themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you and thank you again for having me. <laughs>